worship team. Well, today's the day. Today's our last Sunday in this church series. And if you've walked with us for the last three weeks, I know I do hope that you have been blessed by it. You know, I don't take it, uh, I don't take it lightly that you've allowed me to come up here and preach and open up God's word. I don't take it lightly that you allow me to stand up here week after week to open up God's word. And, you know, this church series uh, for me personally has been, has been so good, so good for me. It's the this, this studying, the, the topic of the church has stretched me in many different ways. It's helped me to grow in my love uh, for Christ. It's, it's, it's stretched me and grown my love for each one of you. And it's grown and stretched my love for the word. And so my prayer has been that you would not leave this church series unaffected. And our goal from the get-go of this study is to help you to solidify your understanding of what the church is and to see that the church is precious to Christ and Christ is precious to the church. And so again, we'll conclude our series this morning with the topic of church membership. And maybe some of you are getting nervous already. Maybe you think that you know church membership is such a boring topic to end this church series. And you know, as I've talked with people uh, just over the years, I've heard a lot of different reasons why membership isn't just it isn't that big of a deal, right? You know, membership. You know, it's not mentioned anywhere in the Bible. I've heard that. I've heard membership is you know it's anti-evangelistic. Membership, it, you know, it makes people arrogant or it, you have this air of exclusivity about them. Your membership maybe is old-fashioned or antiquated. I've heard membership is just snobbish. You know, maybe the biggest cop-out, you know, membership is just not for me. You know, have you ever heard anyone say, you know, I love, I love Jesus, but I just can't stand Christians? Have you ever heard, I love Jesus, I love Jesus so much, but the church is just filled with hypocrites? You know, I love Jesus, I love Jesus so much, but I've been burned one too many times by the church. I want to help us this morning by helping us grasp that membership is biblical and church membership is valuable. That's going to be your two sides of your notes this morning. I want to so I want to show you that church membership is biblical, and I want to show you that church membership is valuable. I think we need to go back and look at the Bible as we talk about this topic of church membership. And it would really, it would make my job so much easier if I could just tell you, turn, open up your Bibles and, and read it, you shall ch- join a local church. Like, that would make my job so much easier, and I could just read that verse and sit down and we'd go home. But... As we start, I want, I want to help us by giving you a definition of what church membership is. You'll see it on the top of your notes. Here's, the, here's the, our, our working definition of what church membership is. Church membership is a formal association with a body of believers in ide- and an identifiable submission to church leadership. Again, church membership is a formal association with the body of believers and, and an identifiable submission to church leadership. And from the get-go, I want to put all my cards on the table. I, I don't want to catch you by surprise at all this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to hide anything from you. I believe that church membership is wise and it's a true and it's prevalent in scripture in, in principle, and, and I believe that church membership is good for your soul, okay? 
I just, I want to get that out there. That's where I stand on it. And I believe that every Christian needs to be a member of a local church. And every local church ought to keep a list of those names who worship there regularly. Okay, so now that you know where I stand, we can, we can continue on, hey, but that's our goal. I want to I show you how I got to that point. I want to show you through scripture how I got to that conviction. And if you disagree with me, that's okay. Reason with me. Come, come, walk through the scriptures with me this morning. And, uh, and I want to, again, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer from the beginning, too. When we're talking about church membership, church membership will never, ever save you. Church membership will never save you. Although I think it's important, you can still be a Christian and not be a church member. But we know, and and I say that because we know from our study of of the Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus' own words echoing in our mind, right? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I work miracles in your name? And what will Jesus say to the many that he says? He says, depart from me. I never knew you. And part of that many is church members. We know that from that study. But we know church membership will never save us. But it's only by faith in the gospel and trust in Jesus Christ's perfect life, his atoning death, and his resurrection that anyone would be saved. All right? So I just want to make sure we're on the same page before we get into our topic this morning. So I made a claim, right? I made a claim that church membership is biblical and church membership is valuable. So we'll walk through those two points this morning. First, let's, let's, let's look at how church membership is biblical. Church membership is biblical. Walk with me. We, we see it first in the example of the early church. Let's open up our Bible to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 this morning, starting in verse 44. We're going to see the example of the early church. As, uh, as being biblical grounds for uh, church membership. Let me read this morning. Acts chapter 2 verse 44. And all those who had, been, had believed were together and all thing, they had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. Day by day continuing with one mind in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Verse 47. And they were praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so if you look at that verse, verse 47, that word added in verse 47, it's not just a throwaway word. Right? God was adding to the church people who were being regenerated and saved, and the church were adding people to their membership roles. They understood in the first century church that when someone became a Christian and they came to church, they actually joined the church. There wasn't this, there wasn't a formal process like we have uh, now, but as Christianity was so new, there was this major distinction between Christians and then the unbelieving pagan society that surrounded them. And so when someone was saved, they were publicly baptized and they were immediately added to the church. There wasn't this you know, cooling off period in the contract or there wasn't you know, a 10 day waiting period uh, you know, to, to join the church. No, they understood the cost of what it meant to be a Christian and then to be added to the church. See, every Christian in the New Testament was part of a church. 
There was never this concept of being a saved person and not belonging to a church. And so this goes against, really, that example goes against uh, everything we see in the modern church in America, isn't it? Currently, there seems to be this consumeristic mindset to the church where everything is just so very individualistic. It's like this lone ranger mentality that's just over, overtaken the American church. You know, I have a personal relationship with God, but not the church. You hear people say that. But I say to them, you, you're missing out on what God is doing in his church. After all, Jesus' marching orders that we read in Matthew 28, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. That's Jesus's order to the church. And you see that followed, and you see that obeyed in Acts chapter 2. And now, uh, you know, let's, let's turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. We see that, right? They're, they're obeying Jesus's marching orders for the church. And then what happened? And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. That, that 3,000 souls, that's just not some willy-nilly made-up number. No, it's 3,000 souls. 3,000 people saved. 3,000 eternal destinies uh, uh, changed forever. 3,000 stories of God's grace uh, to people, right? And they were added, they were added to the church in Jerusalem. And they were adding to that number on the daily. And usually when we talk about the church, uh, what comes to mind is usually the invisible church, the universal church, right? It, that's the church that's made up of all believers of all time from every tongue, tribe, and nation, right? It's, it's a big, big thing. But what's interesting is that when you look at the word for church in, this, in the scriptures, it's, it's almost like 95% of the time, the New Testament authors are talking about the local church. Not the universal church, but the local church. That's the visible church. That's the church on the corner, right? That's the church in Philippi, or the church in Thessalonica, or the church in Corinth, or the church in Rome, right? And the church, these, these were people who were saved, then they were baptized, and then they were added to the lists. And we see these lists... We, see, we catch glimpses of them in scripture. You see in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9, we see uh, Paul describing which lists widows were uh, to be put on. Right? They didn't have a planning center or the church center app that we use today. And if you don't have it, download it. Make Church of the Canyons your church. It'll help us. But no, the, the early churches had lists to help care for people. And in 1 Timothy, uh, we're, t- we're talking about lists to particularly help widows. And how about Acts chapter 6? Acts chapter 6, if you remember, is again another list uh, uh, used to to support those who are poor or who are needy and the widows of the church. And those, if you remember, those deacons were appointed to administrate and to give spiritual and pastoral care so that what? The elders could concentrate on uh, ministering the word and prayer. That's what it's for. And so 3,000 were added to the church, and so 3,000 were added to the list. And so that's the point. Uh, uh, church membership is not just this casual thing, but it's a formal thing for the church. Another scriptural support 
from membership is that whenever a believer left a city, they had a letter of commendation that went along with them. History tells us that that's the case, and we can catch, again, glimpses within scripture where this happens, where someone left the city and went to another place, had a letter of commendation with them. If a family were moving from one church to another, they would carry a letter with them from their previous church, vouching for them, uh, 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 and, and telling them who they were and what they were about. You see this, Romans chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, this is what it says, Paul writes this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is in Sancria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many, and myself as well. You see this again in Acts chapter 18, verse 27. This is when Apollos, he wanted to go across to Achaia, and then the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. See this again in Colossians chapter 4 verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. Also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. See this again, Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes about Epaphroditus and tells the church to receive him. And so all these examples, they're not superficial or some casual identification within the church. No, people joined the church and they were known by and associated with others inside the church. And so you can look at the terminology in Acts and it gives more and more evidence that the people who joined the church were part of the whole congregation. And so it meant something. It meant something to be a part of a church. And it means that when the whole congregation was associated uh, within the church, they knew who the believers were. And they knew who the the unbelievers were. And they were formally committed to the church. One of the best evidences for the formal, that formal association uh, with the church is in Acts chapter 5. You remember that's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And in verse 12 and 13, they were struck dead. And I, and I think that it's an example of how serious God takes church membership. They lied to the spirit, right? And they lied to the elders of the church. And in verse 13, it says, none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And that word associate in verse 12, it's it's maybe translated in your Bible, they joined together. And then it has this idea of gluing something together. It's a real union. It's a real relationship, a genuine, a formal association, really to cement people together. So that's how people saw uh, believers in Christ. They were glued together. And this makes sense, right? Because it's exactly the way Jesus described the relationships within the church ought to be. Jesus said that the world would be attracted to the church because of the love that Christians showed towards one another. And so they knew that committing to Christ meant a commitment to Christ's people. And so it was automatic in the early church. And it needs to be automatic with us today. See, you don't come to Christ apart from his bride. You, didn't, you don't come to worship Christ without joining the worshipers of Christ. All right, we can see this again. If you look at uh, Hebrews 
uh, 10.24. We read it already. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Right? Being a, a church member is, just, is far more than just showing up on a Sunday morning. Right? And this commandment here, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This is a commandment for you. It's a requirement for you. And if you look at the 110 times that the, the word for church comes up in the New Testament, only 17, again, are speaking of this universal church. And it's phenomenal that God's emphasis and our emphasis should be on serving that local manifestation of Christ's body that you are at. And so it begins with joining a church. A third of biblical evidence for membership is church, the, exist, the existence of church discipline. The existence of church discipline. And you're familiar with Matthew chapter 18. That's where Jesus uh, tells us what those, uh, that church discipline ought to look like. But let me sum it up like this. Church discipline exists for the purification of the church where restoration is the goal of the whole entire process, right? And again, if you're not familiar with Matthew 18, Jesus lays out this four-step process of church discipline. First, you see, if, if you see the sin in the life of a brother or a sister, then you go to them. You go to them. You tell them, hey, I see sin in your life. And if they repent, then you've won your brother, right? Restoration happens. That's the goal. But if he continues in that sin, then you bring a witness or two to confirm the accusation. And if he repents, great. You've won your brother. That's restoration. Next, but if he continues to sin, then you bring it before the church, uh, before everyone in the church, along with the elders, to plead with him, to repent. And if that happens, excellent. You've won your brother, right? Restoration happens. But if he continues to sin, you treat them like an unbeliever, like an outsider. You have no connection, no fellowship, right? But as we read that, as you think about that, one apparent observation, you cannot remove someone who has never formally been made a part of a church, right? You can't remove someone who's never been a part. See, just the very existence of church discipline in the Bible is a very clear scriptural teaching that shows you you cannot expel someone from the church unless a formal association has taken place with that church. See, church... <clears throat> Church discipline makes no sense if membership uh, or, or identification with that church wasn't part of the plan. I right, take for take for instance, you know, I, I have employees. I have them fill out membership or, uh, uh, employment applications. You know, I take their tax information. I pay payroll tax and workers workers compensation, and I've onboarded them and I've trained them, and so they know my expectations for them when they do their job. But if I'm driving down the road and I see another gardener who's using their weed eater without safety glasses, what do I do? I stop my car and write them up? That doesn't make sense. Hey, I write them up, say, you, you have not uh, followed by the rules, and so here's your warning. Next time, you're out of the company. And he's going to sit there saying, I was never a part of your company, Right? So discipline can only work if there's been a submission or a, a um, yeah, submission to the, the overseer's uh, rules or, or the, the way things happen. So you can't discipline someone who's never belonged there in the first place. 
right? I might, li- I might know that gardener's name. I might like his work. He might be nice to hang out with, but I have no authority over him because he works for a different company, right? So it's the same thing with church discipline. So let me show you a, a couple other examples as we un- try to understand that church membership is biblical. Next, look, think about the implications of spiritual leadership. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 12 through 14. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. This really is a great instruction on how Christians are to conduct themselves within the church. And he starts with these implications of spiritual leadership, right? Leaders within the church, or in the Bible calls them elders, or pastors, or shepherds, or overseers, or bishops. And every one of those, every, every person in that position is placed there by God over you and to, to, to take responsibility, to have care for you spiritually. And if your elders do not know you, then they cannot take care of you spiritually. Does that make sense? Yes, okay. Church membership, it's a way to put yourself in the oversight of the leaders of the church so that you can put yourself in the watchful, careful, shepherding eye of the elders. And if they don't know you through membership, how can leaders then give an account for you? Because we have to remember that this is the leadership model that God has set up. It's not made up by the elders here at Church of the Canyons. No, God is crystal clear about the spiritual leadership within the church. Because if you read 1 Timothy 3 or Titus or 1 Peter, those passages where, uh, it, uh, where God shows us the ro- what the role is and the qualifications of what an elder and a pastor and an overseer is. And, and he shows how God intends to use those men in those positions. And here in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul describes that the elder is to teach and to care for you spiritually and to watch over you and to lead you and to guide you into things of the Lord. And so follow the logic here. If you are not in fellowship, if you're not part of the body formally, then who in the world is verse 14 for? We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Admonish? You can't just go out on the street and start admonishing people. <laughs> right? That word, it's a Christian word. It means to confront someone with sin and to build them up further into more Christ-likeness. That's what admonishment is. It's a strong warning that you give to one other, another believer that they're dishon- if they're dishonoring God. You say, hey, I see this in your life. I'm going to admonish you to straighten up. You can't admonish unbelievers. You have to admonish other people who are in fellowship with you. That's how we do Christianity together. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, 
for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Doesn't that verse seem a little weird? Right? It's, it's, it's unprofitable for you? Right? If leaders serve with grief, wouldn't that be unprofitable for them, not you? No. But this is an amazing, an amazing truth from God. And it's so clearly inspired by God from the Holy Spirit because the instruction is given to us all that we are to, what? Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. So if you refuse to put yourself under the spiritual authority, God promises that it's going to hurt you. It'll hurt you. It'll hurt. It'll be to your loss, not to your gain, not to your benefit. Not, there's going to be no spiritual growth for you in your life. And so this verse is a warning. It's an admonishment. And so we need to be listening. And most of you, some, and yeah, some of you are, are members already. And you've done the membership class. And you sat up here and got the right hand of fellowship. And you've received a little gift from Church of the Canyons. And that's excellent. But even if you are a member, are you obeying seven, verse 17 fully? Yes, thank you for officially, formally joining Church of the Canyons. Are you obeying your leaders? Are you submitting to your leaders? Are you making their job a joy and not a grief? Are you accountable to your leaders? Or are you a spiritual hitchhiker moving from place to place? Or are you avoiding spiritual accountability in your life? And if you are, then Hebrews thirteen seventeen says it's going to be to your pain that you do this. You will not grow spiritually as God intended if you're outside the oversight of the biblical church leadership that God has set up. God invented it. This is not coming from Matt Davis. This is coming from God. And he is the one who said it's best for you that that happens. And so who are we to say that we have a better idea of, uh, or a better plan with this idea of individualistic kind of, of Christianity? John Piper, I really like this. He says, you are saved in community and sanctification is a community project. Right? You are saved in community and and sanctification is a community project. I really like that one. Anyway, verse 5, or the fifth point. The the, the last point of trying to to prove or or reason with you why church membership is biblical is is all the scriptural metaphors used to describe the church in Christ. There are many ways that that scripture uses that uh, describe the church in Christ and they're they're worth exploring here. We'll just walk through a few of them. How about a bride? A bride. You know, I got married in this very church Christy walked down that aisle and I stood right about there. You know, have you ever noticed that weddings are not an informal affair? Right? We had to go to the, the uh, county clerk's office and get a license. And if you messed up just one stroke on that piece of paper, you'd have to trash it and get a new one. All right, Christy had to, she had to change her name on every piece of government paper, a passport, driver's license, bank accounts, everything had to change. And I have a wife, and I'm serious about that relationship. And she's serious about it too. 
So we are formally committed to one another. And so your association with the church, which Christ calls his bride, his precious, beloved bride, which he died for and shed his blood, is not an informal relationship. It's not an informal relationship. What's another metaphor? How about sheep? The sheep-shepherd metaphor. It's an important one in scripture. Shepherds, they don't have an informal association with their sheep, right? They live among their sheep. They know how many they have, right? They know how to keep track of their sheep to the point where Jesus gives a parable and he, he tells of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and he goes out there and he counts them. One, two, three, four, five, 98, 99. It's only 99. One's missing, and so what does the shepherd do? He goes and looks for the one, right? That shepherd, he's not satisfied with a 99% success rate. Why? Because God has given him 100 sheep to care for. And he has to go out there because that sheep might be surrounded. He might be in, in distress. He might be uh, given to the wolves. And so he goes out and he finds it. And after he finds it, he brings it back. And he recounts everyone, 97 98, 99. That one ran off again. And so what does the shepherd do? Shepherds, they'd usually break a leg of the lamb. But he doesn't break the leg and just let him go. No, he brings him close. Mends the leg. He nurses that sheep back to health. Shepherding is a 24 hour a day, seven day a week job. And when the shepherd has all the sheep, then they can really shepherd. They can lead They can water, they can feed, they can protect the flock. And I can do my job as a shepherd when I have all the sheep. This is not some informal association between a sheep and a shepherd. And if you're a shepherd, your sheep don't flock hop, right? You know, the sheep coming and telling the shepherd, hey, you know, I'm going to go to that flock over there because they have a really good worship band. You know, I, you know, th- I'm going to go to that flock because that pastor is really funny. Well, come to think of it, that, sh- that flock has a shepherd. Listen, God places you in a flock and you belong to that flock formally. Another metaphor. How about the body? The body. You know, my pinky finger is not informally associated with my body. It's very closely associated with my body. It's not like I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and my pinky gets off and goes to Chris Rojas and says, I want to be a part of your body. No, that's crazy. So church members belong to the local body. How about the architectural metaphors? Buildings, right? Living stones. So when buildings were built, you had a cornerstone. A cornerstone, this perfectly square stone that the rest of the building would be guided up to and lined up to. You see, Christ, he's that perfect, suitable stone, perfect in his messiahship to build that house upon. And so every stone placed on top of the other, perfectly lined up so it would never collapse. So we have stones, you know, as you walk in, we have stones on the front of our building You know, those stones don't hop off and say, you know, I'm better used down by the modulars. I'd look better down there. Or they don't roll down Sand Canyon and join the In-N-Out building because it smells better. No, they're part of this building. It's a formal association. 
know, I came across a quote this week from Charles Spurgeon about bricks, about stones. And the thing you have to understand about Spurgeon is that he has a way with words. And so after this quotation, please don't get mad with me because I'm just quoting the prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. This is what he says. Quote, I know that there are some who say, well, I've given myself to the Lord, but I don't intend to give myself to any church. And I say, now, why not? And they answer, because I can be just as good as Christian as without it. And I say, are you quite sure about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to the Lord's command as by being obedient? There's a brick. What is the brick made for? It's made to build a house. It is of no use of the brick for, uh, for the brick to tell you that it's a... I'm sorry, let me start that sentence over. There's a brick. What's the brick made for? It's to build a house. It is of no use for the brick to tell you that it's just as good a brick while it's kicking about on the ground by itself as it would be as part of the house. Actually, it's a good-for-nothing brick. So you rolling stone Christians, I don't believe that you're answering the purpose for which Christ saved you. You're living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live, and you are much to blame for the injury you do, unquote. And as hard as that is to hear for some of us, it's really helpful it's in our, our thinking about our, um, our theology of church membership, okay? Another metaphor is family, family. You, know, you guys know I have four little kids, and it wasn't until Reese, the, the number four, that she came into our family, did I understand how you could leave a kid behind? <laughs> See, but as a, as a father, that's my responsibility. It's my responsibility to make sure that they're all in my car, right? Not in the neighbor's car, right? That's not where they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be in my van, right? If you've been around me uh, after church uh, and it's time to walk up to the car, you know, I usually say something, and I, I usually say it out to the kids. And I say, Davis clan out. And everyone who's formally associated with my family knows that it's time to roll. Right? And so I think you're, you're getting the point of this formal association in all of these metaphors. There are many other metaphors that's, that you can study, like the vine and the branches, kingdom and king, or the vineyard. And I hope that as we walk through all of that, that I've shown you that church membership is scriptural. It's, it is biblical. Church membership is God's design. And so now as we move to part two, I want to show you that church membership is valuable. Church membership is valuable. Membership bears dividends. It pays out. You get benefits from church membership. So I want to show you seven Values, seven benefits you get from church membership. Number one, loving accountability. Loving accountability. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 32. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. They all talk about the need for other people in your life as a matter of skillful living. He who isolates himself does so to his own ruin. The Bible tells us, right, that we need this loving accountability. That's why Matthew 18 shows us uh, what church discipline looks like. And that's what Jesus provided for the church. That's what Hebrews chapter 13 was talking about. 
God wants you to be watched. That may make you feel uncomfortable, right? People are watching me, but it's for my good. And if you want people, I'm, I'm telling you, you want people to watch over your life, to help you live in a way that's pleasing to God. And so I'll exhort you this morning, abandon any thought of spiritual independence in your life. If it's in your heart, if it's dwelling and hiding there, finding your own independence and your own spirituality, then I say get rid of that and embrace a loving accountability that church membership provides. I think of 2 Thessalonians 3.15. It says, Paul's, Paul's writing, he says, Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. That was written for, for anyone who didn't obey Paul's instruction to the church. And it applies to us for those who are not following biblical commands. Right? There's an admonishment for them as a brother. Not as an enemy, but as a brother. And so the church is, Chris said it this morning, we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we care for one another as in a familial way and a, through loving accountability. Whether it be like through Hebrews 10 or Hebrews 13, or Matthew 18, whether it's encouragement, or one-on-one exhortation, it's good for you to be accountable. And you need that loving accountability that the church membership offers. Second benefit is that you identify now with Christ and his people. You have a new identification with Christ and his people. When you're a church member, identification is a perk of membership. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 8, verse 3. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. See, if you are ashamed of Christ, then it makes sense to be ashamed of his people, right? But if you love Jesus Christ and you want to honor Jesus Christ and you want to serve Jesus Christ, then you need to love, honor, and serve his people. You need to love, honor, and serve his bride, There's this automatic correlation between being ashamed of Christ and then being ashamed of his people. And if you're his, then there's an automatic correlation now identifying you with Christ and then identifying you with his people. See, if Christ is precious to you, then the church will be precious to you. Jesus himself, right, he certainly made that formal commitment to identify himself with the people that he saved, right? When he left heaven... To come to earth and die as a man. He identified with us. And so how is it possible? How is it possible for us to be reluctant to formally identify ourselves with Christ the way that he has chosen? How is it possible for us to be reluctant to formally identify ourselves with Christ through baptism and membership? Right? The, those baptism and membership, they're very public acts. Right? Not, not something to be done in the shadows. It's something to be done out on the street. It's a public event. Right? You formally, publicly associated yourself with Jesus Christ through baptism. Then you automatically joined the church. One commentator says this. He says, you have been joined together with Christ. You bear his name. Are you ashamed to belong? Are you ashamed to bear that identification with other believers of like precious faith? Shouldn't you be willing to outwardly to identify with the visible, gathered members of that group to which you belong eternally? End quote. Do you hear that statement? It's so good. 
So what's your motivation for associating yourself with the church? How about the fact that you'll be associated with each other for all eternity? So you're in the wrong company if you don't like the church. If you've got issues with the church, if you know better than church leadership, if you think you've got a better manifestation of Christianity, I think it's one of the coolest things when we come to church and you look around, you see the vast differences in our body. I mean, no offense when I say it, but we have older people. And I benefit from the older people, from their wisdom and life experience. And there's young people here. Scripture says that the the glory of young men are in their strength. See, there's people from all kinds of backgrounds and upbringings. Church, I have more in common with you believers than I have with family members who do not know and love and honor Jesus Christ. You are my family. And so when I identify with Christ, I identify with his people. And that's a benefit to us all. Number three, as we move on, these, these benefits might over, start overlapping, but the third benefit of church membership is that you get to exercise your gift for the sake of others. You get to exercise your spiritual gift. Using your gifts is one of the benefits of church membership. So in addition to uh, loving accountability and identifying with Christ and his people, you get to use your gift. You use your gift and you benefit from the gifting of other people. All right, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 says this, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Chapter 12 verse 11 says, But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. What for? Why does he do that? For the common good, Scripture says. You use your gifts and you benefit from others using their gifts. That's how God intended his church to work. That's why each one of us are just wired a little bit differently. Each one of us approaches situations differently so that we can benefit from one another. Take the elder team, for example. We have five elders, and we balance each other out. There's different giftedness in each one of us. Some are gifted in administration, others hospitality, some in wisdom, some in teaching and preaching, some in giving, some in exhortation. Some are quick decision makers who help us move fast when a decision needs to be made. Now, there's are processors who cause us to slow down when, when it's needed. But we all benefit from one another. And it's no different with the church in, in general. Right? Members of the church, we, we help each other in the way God has gifted us. And so some of you, some of you God has gifted, uh, in, in, you guys are generous gifters. Right? You give a lot. While others of you are, are gifted servants. That's why we can have such a well-balanced ministry when we work around each other. We grow based on each other's gifts. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, Paul says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why did God do that? If you read on it, it says, For the equipping of the saints... For the work of service to building up the body of Christ. That's why you're gifted. 
And so if you choose to be a maverick, some ecclesiastical spiritual nomad, and bounce from church to church, you're not going to benefit from other people's gifts and wisdom the way that you would if you formally associated yourself with a body of believers. Right? You use your gifts the way God has wired you and the way that God has equipped you for the benefit of others. He saved you for that. Number four, fourth benefit. Membership in the church guards you from error. Membership guards you from error. Hebrews 3.13 says, Do not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You're not to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Considering that verse in context, you read verse 12. It says, take care, brethren, that there not being any one of you with evil, unbelieving hearts that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you might be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So are you struggling against the flesh? Are you having a hard time fighting sin? Have you ever employed the help of a brother or sister in the church to fight that sin? That's what they're there for. That's what we're here for. That's why God made it this way. You don't have to go at it alone. You can be helped. You can be guarded from error. You know the fastest way to fall into false teaching is to isolate yourself from other believers? You know the worst thing that can happen to a Christian is not persecution. That's not the worst thing. The worst thing to happen to a Christian is to be hardened in your heart by the deceitfulness of sin. That you fall into false doctrine and to be led away. That's the worst thing that can happen to a Christian. Right, it's not about personal safety. It's not about persecuting the body. No, it's, a, it's, it's the danger of a false gospel. And the danger here is not just believing something wrong about the essential uh, doctrines, but maybe it's believing something wrong about a minor doctrine, right? We, as as uh, we, I was talking to someone this morning, and she quoted, is iron sharpens iron. That's what we're here for, to sharpen each other in our thinking, especially doctrinally. You know, what if a brother who understood the word just maybe a little bit better than you did could help you walk through a doctrine, help you understand it, help you to apply it? If you're struggling with a doctrine, if you're, if you're not understanding maybe a key principle of, of uh, some key Christian doctrines, you need others to help you in that. And that church membership helps. Right? If, there, if there's uh, an error in sinful living or an error in doctrinal clarity, you must not be overtaken by sin. That's the worst thing that can happen to a Christian. And God has built a Christian community to protect you from that. That's church membership. Fifth, back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. Here's the fifth benefit of church membership. It fosters assurance. Church membership fosters assurance. You know, maybe some of us struggle with assurance of salvation. You don't know if you're really saved. You don't know if you're elect. You stay up at night and worry about it. You read Ephesians 1 and you have a hard time understanding how it works. You know, I look at my life and you say, you know, I've sinned before and so maybe I think I'm not a Christian. You know, many, many Christians struggle with that. 
And, and understanding the, what the Bible says about the gospel of grace is the best ammunition we have in our fight for assurance. Knowing that God is for you and who can be against you, certainly, right, would be a tremendous help in our assurance. But do you know that the church is the institution to help one another with that? We help one another in our fight for assurance. Let us hold fast, Hebrews 10 says. That's that's that perseverance, holding fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And so who is involved in that holding fast? It says, let us, us, we do this together. We do this in community. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And assurance there is an important part of that. So you, yes, you do need to make sure that you are saved. Scripture says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And so you need each other to help in that. You have elders, you have Bible study leaders, you have brothers and sisters that can help you figure that out. That's why 1 John 4.20 says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. So you realize if you struggle with your love for the church, if you struggle with your love for Christians, that could be a great indication, in fact, that you are not a Christian. So learning to love the church will help you understand what your eternal destiny is all about. God built his church to help you have assurance. Listen, assurance is not something that God wants to withhold from you. Assurance is something God wants to give you confidence in because it's going to give you confidence in the gospel. And the church is here to help with that. Sixth benefit of church membership is that we would have effective evangelism. That we would have effective evangelism. John chapter 13 talks about this effective evangelism, right? It basically means that we're in this together and we're, it's better that we're together than apart. Because in, first, in John chapter 13, verse 34, says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And there's a great amount of attraction that happens when believers live in community with each other, right? The world, as you look out towards the world, does not have true community. Right? The world can join a 24-hour fitness club or a book club, and they can have some sense of camaraderie. They could join the Young Republicans Club or be a Girl Scout. They'd have some commonality. But like we learned last week, fellowship is so much more, it's so much deeper, so much more compelling than what we have in common in our interests, but our commonality because of the gospel. Right? Effective evangelism happens when we as a church live in community. As we live in a true, God-glorifying kind of relationship with one another. As we fellowship with one another. As we share life together. We realize that we are better together. And we will serve our local church ministry. And our, minist- our members will start drawing people in because the gospel is starting to look attractive to the world. You know, I brag about Church of the Canyons all the time. I tell people of how the church has provided for its members. You guys are so generous of selfless love and mercy that you guys give each other. And each one of those stories is a testimony 
of the truth of the gospel. So, we let our light shine before men that they might see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. The last benefit of being a church member, what else can I say other than church membership glorifies God? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. So as we live in holiness-producing Christian community that loves one another, we glorify God. And we let the world know what it means to love and to honor Christ. You know, it's been 13 years since I graduated from the Master's University. And I had friends there that I've, I've lost touch with. And, you know, I'll occasionally see them in person or on social media. And it breaks my heart to hear and to see of classmates who walked away from the Lord. You know, people who are once zealous to do the work, now abandoned to their own pursuit of their lusts. Homosexuality, atheism, drunkenness, and divorce. I've seen it all in those friends. But the thing that makes me so glad when I do see someone is, and I ask them, are you still a Christian? And they say, yeah. And the next thing I say, where do you go to church? You know, and, and maybe that's too straightforward, but time is short. I have to ask the question. It's so important to join and associate yourself with a local body where you can find accountability the way that God designed it. Right? It's never been more important than it is now, coming off of COVID and lockdowns and isolation and live streaming. You can say you can stay home every Sunday and watch church in your PJs. Good morning. <laughs> And it's a tool. Online, you know, streaming the service is a tool. But don't be tricked into thinking that that is the church. You can't just sit in your car and listen to worship music and call that church. You can't just gather with two of your buddies and call it church. You can't just download 15 sermons and listen to them throughout the week and call that church. It's not a substitute. Listen, God saved you unto himself and he identifies himself on this earth with believers who he calls his bride and that is the church. They are precious to him and he guarantees the church's success. Right? It's good to be involved with, with uh, institutions that do gospel work but you have to remind, we have to remind ourselves that Jesus never once promised that the gates of Hades would not prevail against Campus Crusade. Or he never guaranteed the eternal triumph of the Master's University. He never secured forever the success of the Salvation Army or even the Pregnancy Center. No, what did he promise? The church. The church. Again, I'm not opposed to any of those organizations, but Jesus only guaranteed the eternal success of his bride, the church. And so I hope that you come to the point of experiencing the benefit from the church and grow in the church as you formally associate yourself with a local body of believers. And I believe that that is God's will for your life. And if you, if you don't do that, then you hamstring yourself spiritually when you refuse to join a local church. And I hope that after this morning, after we've reasoned through the scriptures together, you better understand the scriptural basis for church membership and that you also see that there's benefit to becoming a church member. 
And if you're still not convinced, then search the scriptures for yourself and, 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 and try to answer that question, right? How, how is associating with a local body for my own good or, or God's glory? And I'm convinced though, I'm convinced that when you formally associate yourself with a local body of believers, and then you identifiably submit to the official church leadership, you are protected, you are guarded, and you are able to grow in the way that God intended you to grow. And so to wrap this up, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, quote, I want to get back to the discipline of the church, discipline for the minister and discipline for the members. And to recapture the glorious conception of the Christian life that men may feel there's no honor which can be conferred upon them so great as their church membership. And that ministers may feel that there's nothing in life to be compared with the preaching of this glorious and incomparable gospel. End quote. And I want that too. I want that too. And so if you're interested in membership, we're having a membership class, Chris said it, November 5th. If you need more information, talk to me or any of the elders or better yet, fill out a registration card that's in the seat back in front of you and we'll reach out to you. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for the church. God, we are so grateful for the church, for your eternal plan of gathering believers from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Yes, we're thankful for the universal church, but God, we're particularly grateful for Church of the Canyons here this morning. You've been so faithful to us. I pray that you'd please keep the elders faithful to living lives of integrity and to keep them committed to the correct and spirit-filled teaching of your word. We are grateful for our elders. They are my elders. And God, I ask that you would give us great wisdom and deepen our commitment to shepherding this church unto holiness. So God, I pray for those who are here today, church members and non-members alike. I don't, I don't ask you that, that you would uh, give us a ton of cards be filled out, but more importantly, that you would put in our hearts this biblical conviction to formally identify ourselves where you've placed us and when you placed us in Christ. God, may we learn to love our church, love your church, And so may Sunday mornings be such a tremendous joy to us. May our Bible studies and community groups and fellowship groups be a place where we know that we have accountability and shepherding and instruction and and to our own spiritual benefit. And may all of it just be a foretaste of eternity, knowing that life is so brief. May we be abandoned to you. May our hearts just burn with passion and zeal for the commitment to know one another and to serve one another for the advancement of your kingdom.